Welcome to Just for Kicks podcast. We are on record saying that if this was the chalkiest, most tame tournament moving forward, it would still be the greatest or arguably, I hate when people say arguably, you can argue anything really, but within the context of how people use the word arguably, arguably one of the greatest World Cups of all time. I think we can say that after <laughs> just the quarterfinals we just watched. Um, Brazil's out. Let's start there. Your favorite. I told you so. The universe's favorite. For about four months, Vegas has said there is probably a 35 to 40% chance that they'll win the tournament versus the field. They're done. They lost in penalties. They lost in penalties 30 minutes after Neymar delivered the goal that would tie Pele for all-time Brazil goal score. He did it in the most important moment of his life as a player of the game. I mean, we thought we were on chapter three, and then the book got set on fire by the team that Mike told us 72 hours ago would do it. This year's Italy. <laughs> Croatia. I'm going to go to Steve before Mike um, demystifies all of this because it's, it's inexplicable. I'm sure if I listened to what you said on that podcast again right now, it would equal parts trigger and amaze me. But Steve, Brazil losing in this quarterfinal. What does this say to the footballing world about Europe? About, hell, even Argentina's chances. We'll get to Argentina-Netherlands, which is <laughs> top, top 20 World Cup matches ever. That also happened today. I'm calling it top 20 World Cup matches ever. I think... I think, I, it, yeah, it I, think I think you're being very uh, conservative there. Okay. <laughs> Europe's dominance continues. Brazil... Out in the quarters, three out of four years. I know Germany's having similar problems, but other European nations are picking it up despite their slack. What does it say about where we are? As far as the Brazil micro, um, back to the drawing board for them, I guess. It's going to now be tied for their longest drought ever. And they're the kings of the game. Um, they have not beaten a European team in a knockout since 2002. They're 0 for 5. So far, probably the most impressive team in the tournament, and they got their humble pie at a very inopportune time. Um, incredible credit to Croatia. They were able to just kind of stick to their game and stay in there long enough to make the end game, and then, per usual, Croatia finds a way. I just want to point out, and again, this is something that didn't really occur to me in real time, but just re-watching it again before doing this podcast... Allison saves that shot 400 out of 400 times if it's not deflected. Absolutely. And Marquinhos is also the person who missed the penalty by two inches. I mean, you want to talk about sliding doors. I mean, you know, you want to talk about being unlucky? Brazil's the most popular team in all of sport. And we just saw everybody's favorite or second favorite team that isn't 
in Argentina get about as unlucky as you can get. But Mike, regardless of that, most people probably peg this to be not something that could be affected by such narrow margins. How'd you see it coming? I mean, if you just look back at the game, you just got to stay in it. You just got to make sure that it doesn't get away from you. And Croatia pressed really well. They possessed in the mid. You know, they they have a really strong midfield three in Kovacic, uh, Brozovic, and obviously Modric. So they held the ball really well. It was dead even on possession. Uh, Brazil had way more way more shots, and they had to weather the storm. So I think that it's, you know, shout out to their keeper, uh, Livakovic. He, he was, he was incredible. So that's the thing. Um, you just stay in the game from a few different factors. And I just felt like Croatia would be up for the task, man. They've got a very mature squad. And did they get a little bit lucky at times? Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's, that's kind of the nature of the tournament. And, uh, Brazil, they, they needed to get a several goal lead early exactly. to win that game and when Croatia stifled them is when they started to question themselves and then they started going for it the doubt started growing I just feel like th- the maturity really showed in this game of Croatia that that's that's what shined through that's what made me make my pick for them to win this game well I and they're a pig in mud zero, in this kind zero. of match yes oh yeah yes Steve what was your immediate emotional reaction? to watching Neymar deliver that goal to tie Pele with oh, that was, much on the line. It was I mean, vintage it was, Neymar, vintage Brazil. Um, I th- certainly thought that was the goal to seal it. It seemed perfectly poetic and perfectly scripted for like, you know, that sends them to the semifinal. Messi plays later today. We all get to go lay our heads on our pillows softly and wait till Tuesday and, um, well, Neymar and a bunch of other attackers seemed to have different ideas in the 118th minute or whatever it was. And if it had ended that way, it would have been one of the greatest matches ever. We also had Argentina play the Netherlands. I don't even know how to characterize what we saw because, <sighs> because the Netherlands did the most anti-Dutch thing <laughs> we've ever seen. From a execution standpoint, from a theoretical standpoint, not so much. Um, they stayed true to form. But they just, like Mike said, needed to be anti-football. And it took quite a bit to break them down, but we did see an amazing, amazing assist from Lionel Messi. I'm, I, I'm a critic of... Messy in clutch moments. Uh, I, I have been for a very, very long time. I, I thought that uh, to do something of that level on that stage is mind-numbing. I mean, it was wizardry. It was... Uh, this is Messi's World Cup, man. He certainly had a lot of practice in that role at PSG, and it showed. But will you guys just reflect on that moment? Because it just was one of those... One of those moments where Messi reminds us that nobody else can do what he does, and then we realize he could just as easily have been on the other end and delivered a much sexier finish. So I was watching the game up until this point, thinking to myself, Messi hasn't really gotten a kick for about 20 to 25 minutes. 
But famously, Messi barely participates in the first five to ten minutes of the game. And everyone who knows much more than me about soccer always talks about how well he does walking around, feeling out a defense, feeling out their patterns, and how they approach him when he hits different pockets. So, again, he hasn't gotten a kick for about 25 minutes. I'm thinking to myself, I don't think the Dutch are marking him out of the game. I think he's about ready to pop. And then suddenly he picks the ball up, and Nathan Ake slides out. And he puts him on skates, and then I will let y'all guess where the pass went through. It was Nathan Ake's channel, as if Messi had been thinking about this for half an hour. Um, (laughs) I I, I don't have words. It was just Messi. We've seen it before. It was just Messi. Um, Messi did not score again, except for a penalty kick. We had Messi deliver an amazing penalty kick, freeze the keeper, put it the other direction, and just stand as the anointed one in the center of the stage. It was... It was beauty. <laughs> the rest of the match was a little uglier than that moment. We had a uh, we had a pitch invader, and that was about the sixth craziest thing that was going on. Things boiled over when Nathan Aki was cleared out. Maybe uh, maybe Paredes was fatigued and just missed time to tackle. I don't know. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe he um, mishit the ball directly at the Dutch bench. Uh, that's normally uh, cleared 500 yards in the stands. I don't know, but I, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. But a fight ensued, and it was unlike anything that I've seen spill over. And what's what's a physical altercation that you've seen that is comparable to this in a, an English Premier League match this year, in a La Liga match this year. And these tensions were tough. Uh, any Clasico in the aughts. Any Clasico in the aughts. Yeah. But, but again, a Clasico in the aughts. That's, a, that's <laughs> people... A Mourinho Clasico. That's what I meant to say. People normally keep their heads... Their, yeah, for the, for the record, there were no eyes poked that we found out about in this. However, it was a bench clearing incident. We also had one of, if not, I don't know, that, this free kick that in, ended the match or ended regular time. Is that like top 50 World Cup goals, top 30 World Cup goals? I mean, Again, the theater is insane. It's 2-1. Regular time is expiring. The whistle is about to blow, and the Dutch pull a training ground trick for the ages. Mike, you said you practice it. Can, can you explain what the Dutch pulled off in the most Dutch fashion possible? Yeah, so we... We used to call it the the slippery banana, and so uh, you act like you're going to take a shot, and then you just slide it in, and everybody's kind of expecting you to either whip it in or shoot it, and it's it catches people off guard, man. What yeah. I loved about that call was that they've subbed in about three people strictly for their height advantage yes, at this yes. point. Yeah. They've taken a free kick from the exact wow. same spot previously where they whipped a shot and Argentina's wall is like an average height of five seven. 
Mm-hmm. And instead, they run a basically Beep. a pick plate about Weghorst, about Veghorst, and it was a yeah, pick plate. And, and he buries it. Yeah, it was, it was genius. It was ooh, like ooh, maximum ooh, LVG, Uzig, Izag. Like I'm more clever than you. Yeah, flawless Dude, call. This, we it talked. We talked about how important LVG was. Like this, this tournament. This was his. The team was on his back. And Steve, what stat did LVG keep alive? Because that play was executed, because that strike went in the back of the net. Yeah, I mean, one of the most memorable set plays I've ever seen, and that preserved his undefeated record at the World Cup as Netherlands coach. Has only ever been knocked out <laughs> by extra time or penalties. Eight, eight wins, four draws, technically speaking, depending on how you feel about a third place match. Did we? I mean, we we talked about it. He's... I mean, that record's insane for a World Cup. Eight wins, four draws, and then. Then we had penalties. Um, we can talk about regulation. Um, I can go mad all caps about how Dude, I think double Argentina day. should have had uh, only 10 men, but nobody wants that. Um, I Okay. <laughs> they could have both been down to eight. Yes. That's how that yes. game was. You're no, no, I, I, I mean, okay, we don't need to name it names. Was, but it was bad on both sides. It was it was, You're poking it was a the referee game. Yeah, it was a poor referee game. And I think the that had, they could have done better without him. sided when it got close. I to I, I just team. think I I still disagree <laughs> with that. I just I just think again, my focus in this one is this is Messi's World Cup and he showed I know. up today. He got his hand of God perfect, today too. Perfect assist. He got his hand of God today too. A goal. <laughs> he's I mean, he's on the way. The the I handball the, the, was a yellow card. The fact he didn't get a yellow for that, but he got it for yelling at the referee. Later. Yeah, I was like, "What is this guy doing?" Out but there? but he he might not have yelled at the referee. Had it was oh no, it of was, course he would. Again, I don't think he would have gotten a red. This was all teed up by poor refereeing that created this frenzy. I think none again, of these things would have. I mean, again, like you know, I see us. I think in football, man. Yeah, I mean it. We we disagree we disagree about um, the nature of things at the end, but it had it gotten would to not the have point come to that it would not have come to that. If it had gotten to the point late in the better. second half and in the in overtime where he would blow the whistle, and I didn't know which direction he was going to point. Like he would watch a foul or a maybe foul, and he would blow the whistle, and I'd be like, "Ooh, spicy!" If Let's it see which direction him. he goes with this one, if it didn't involve. Nothing. Um, are you taking a salt bath or are those just tears? I'm I'm still trying to recover from Brazil losing. Um so I think I'm, sorry, I, I think I'm not I, gonna I'm I, not gonna sit through this slander. I th- I think that I think that like the Brazil <laughs> the Brazil um withdrawals are making me um very lash out at, lash out at their at their rivals. Don't um, be a player hater. Listen. I just, I just, today we saw the best moment of Neymar's career. And I think we saw the best moment of Messi's career. And which, which moment? The, the penalty make. In regulation. I would argue. I thought the assist. I thought the assist was better. I thought it showed his wizardry. I thought it was. You know, so that was the unselfish thing it, we were talking about. I think about. it was the peak, but I thought that his self-assuredness with that penalty and then just how he looked 
And, you know, I've never been able to say that he is, quote unquote, Michael Jordan. In that moment, he looked like, to me, how I viewed Michael Jordan. That was when he was he was stepping back and he was staring at his people who believed in him. And it was almost as if a guy who couldn't believe in himself anymore was like, you know what? I'm about as good at this sport as Keith Hernandez is at baseball, and that's pretty cool. <laughs> I don't even know who Keith Hernandez is. What is wrong with you? I don't um, know. But yeah, for Neymar not to be um, in the next round. But again, again, you know, it's just an amazing story with Croatia. Amazing story with Croatia. Um, and I want to bring this up right now before we forget. Before these odds change, a team that's already in the semis. I'm just pointing that out. I know that I know that's uh, did did my research to figure that. But a team that's already in the semis, meaning they don't have to beat either Morocco, Portugal, England, or France to uh, get to the World Cup final, which then they would have to win for this bet to hit. Is it plus 925? It ain't right. I'm not saying Croatia is going to win the World Cup. I'm just telling you there are value bets, and then there's that. Mike, am I off base here? No, I mean, I, I, I'm i fortunate that I have uh, a Croatia plus 4,500 bet in um, from, uh, <laughs> from a little bit ago. Uh, you, catch a, you catch a bad line, you take it. Um. Yeah, uh, they're plus. They're they're anywhere from plus nine twenty five to like you said to nine plus even nine fifty on some books. And I don't. I mean, Argentina is again. It feels like destiny. I don't know. I like, if everybody's I like just Croatia. Kind of assuming, but I mean, well, at that like you might as well. I you might as well throw ten dollars at that. Might as. I, I you know it, it's. Do you think there's less than a forty percent chance that Croatia beats Argentina? I'd say less than a 40% chance. Argentina probably learned from today that they need to keep their foot on the gas. And because they when they went up two, that's you need to keep pressing and they kind of sat back a little bit and let the Dutch attack them. And I felt like they needed to just be a little bit more offensive. Messi was a little bit on an island for about 10 minutes in the second half. And sometimes he can ghost around and it's fine, but sometimes it's like, wait, we need to get him back involved. And they, they, they took a little bit too much time to do that. I think that if Croatia is properly rested for this match against Argentina, what we learned against Brazil is that a side that organized and that pacey could not wear Croatia down. Argentina may be just as athletic. I don't think they're just, I don't think they're as quick, um, but they're not as organized in terms of their ball movement. I think if Croatia can run with Brazil, they can run with Argentina. Oh, that, it, it's going to be a close is game. Brazil worse than Argentina? It's not a transition. I mean, based like on that. the data points we have now, 
I guess maybe. Um, I think that's a coin flip. Steve, do you think Croatia should be heavy underdogs? I think that line's probably a little bit distant from where I would put it. Um, certainly, their odds to win the World Cup, they're going to be in the Final Four. Um, I think, what, that's suggesting less than a 10% chance. Um, I, I think Croatia's got every chance to, A, win the game against Argentina and take it to the final. If they can beat Brazil, they can beat anybody. Yeah. Not not that we didn't know that. I mean, they made the last World Cup final, and they're doing it again. So I, They made the last World Cup final in France. France played one of the better games of their tournament other than N'Golo Conte um, having to exit in the 59th minute because he had diarrhea. Um, Dude, it'll put a good man down. We all know. <laughs> they held on. The ghost of Claude came down and they held on. Um, let's shift our focus to tomorrow. And then we'll circle back around and see if we have any final thoughts on two of the greatest matches ever played um never mind the stage i mean it was just 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 a batty day batty we'll start with morocco and portugal they can't both go to penalties tomorrow i can't do that again <laughs> i think morocco is gonna blow them out no i'm kidding <laughs> I, was, I love that call i'm kidding First off, do you think Ronaldo starts? Nah, I mean, if they want to win, no. It, it, I, do like, honestly, think, do you think I he don't, starts? I don't have any lines that I want to take in this game because if he does start for whatever reason, no, I don't I think, I don't, I think they I don't could care lose. about these conditionals. I just, do you think he starts? No, I, no. Okay. Steve, do you think he starts? I don't know how you can justify him starting right now. If he starts, they will lose. Who am I? I topped my group with seven points. I scored four goals. I survived the round of 16 by penalty. And I'm playing a team who beat Switzerland in the quarterfinals. So far, Morocco. the only goal I've allowed to this stage is an own goal. And I've got a giveaway if you don't give it there. Morocco. Or... Italy, 2006. We also, both of these teams have one starter from Fiorentina. Um, Who's the the Fiorentina? Was that um, Cameron Ezzi? Luca Toni. (laughs) Luca Toni! He wasn't at Bayern yet? Who scored in the fall? Who scored in the uh, quarterfinal coming up? Luca Toni. Point is, it's Messi's World Cup. We have France and England, but Morocco has history on their side. <laughs> if you squint closely, that's just it's the Azuri Lions. You won't even notice a difference. I was just going to say, tomorrow's games are really difficult to call. And I felt confident today taking uh, Argentina to advance and taking Croatia to advance. These matches... I think we have teams that are uniquely equipped to beat teams that are better than them. I mean, I think France is undoubtedly more talented than England. Um, but unless I we're just operating arguable. under the theory that England's not the best team in the tournament, um, 
maybe Portugal's the hottest team in the tournament. Maybe Argentina's the hottest team in the tournament. But I still think England's probably the worst matchup for France. Steve, would you agree? I think this is the game that England has been planning for since Gareth Southgate showed up. Um, they always knew so that sounds like a yes to win a World Cup or to win a Euro. It was going to go through France. This is their maybe not eternal rival, but certainly closest rival. I mean, okay, sorry, they share a border with Wales and Scotland, but you get my point. Yeah, and they finally have had the talent bubble up to match France. Um, they've been a reactive team, a defensive team, and a very solid team under Southgate. Not very expansive. Interested to see who takes the initiative in, initiative in this match. But again, I think this is perfectly coalesced for Southgate to get his, you know, um, the this feather would be his, his signature cap, win, so yeah. to speak. Oh, uh, I mean, this is, I know they made the semifinals last time and the finals in Euros. This would be the most impressive win in his tenure. France is absolutely the behemoth that he needs to topple and i think yeah, that they're perfectly set up to do it i agree this would make him the most successful or prestigious england manager in ages those are um, of course two different questions 66. in england but um i would agree with both of those obviously i already think he's the most successful mike would you agree that france top to bottom even with injuries is the most talented and the deepest team in this tournament you know, it's interesting. I think you could have made the argument with Brazil. Obviously, they are now out. So in terms of teams remaining, I mean, France is, you know, certainly tops. You can argue that England, I mean, England has a lot of quality as well. I, mean, I think England's, England's I, I think their, their squad on their best days go toe-to-toe. But that's the key. And I, I think what I like about Southgate, and it's kind of bizarre because he's gotten so much flack, especially from the British fans. And from and you like three weeks ago. <laughs> I, I, I haven't, I haven't, I mean, I haven't always been the biggest fan of his, but well, nobody I think has. when you take a step, I think when you take a step back and look at, at the body of work, like Steve said, they've, they've really set themselves up to be difficult to beat just in general. And, and I, I really that's am having game. a tough time. That's mm-hmm. the whole game. I haven't. I have a tough time picking this game. And at first I, I was like, oh, France is going to just roll them. And then as I kind of like, just honestly, just thought about it more, it was like England does not concede very often. Nope. They play in a very organized manner. And you, you, you asked the question, you know, how much does the Sterling loss impact them? I think that what's so great about Southgate is you don't feel the impact of players that are missing as, as much as you think you would like a Reese James being out or them just having a general right back issue. They they've managed to, to solve for that and not make it a weakness that has been too exposed. Right. I think that that is on Southgate. I think that what we've seen a lot this tournament that I think, you know, any level of fan needs to realize is that we have witnessed a lot of quality coaching. And, you know, sure, the game is settled on the pitch and with plays, but the way that certain managers have set their teams up have allowed them to really go for runs in this in this mm-hmm. World Cup. And I think it's I think it's worth noting. I think, um, you know, Louis Van Hall, Louis Van Hall 
is having, you know, or, you know, had one of the best coaching performances, in my opinion, taking a, what I believe to be a subpar Dutch team, they were, you know, really far. And you've got Walid uh, Ragrawi, the Moroccan manager. Morocco has been fantastic. And, and a lot of managers have just really taken their teams to the next level. And I think it's really interesting. I think that Gareth Southgate could do this. And if I'm taking a pick, I think I'm taking England to advance plus 106. But I, I don't, it, it's, it's that game, this game is going to be amazing. It, it's a tightrope. Steve, every so, time I looked okay. at this match, or sorry, every time I looked at this tournament and looked at where I thought England would exit, it all seemed kind of arbitrary because I want to think about them being you know, the brand, the uh, people who are so burdened by the past. These kids, even if they lose the prior tournament in heartbreak, don't seem phased when they're in the new tournament. You know, I want to look at them as being, you know, more banged up or, you know, uh, because of their playing in the English Premier League, things of that nature. It seems to be working their advantage because of the nature of this tournament happening when it is. So, I mean, going back to the first episode of this podcast, I was talking about Frank Four. I said, I think that there's this alternate dimension where England, because of how Gareth Southgate is able to set up this team and has a certain consistency to his system where people are easily slotted in to certain parts that, one, the learning curve's not there when you got to put a guy like Jude Bellingham in. But people are able to thrive who've been there for more than four seconds. Southgate's performance, I think, has been astonishing. I think there's a lot to do with the continuity of Southgate. Um, One thing I'll be looking for in tomorrow's match is whether he goes with a back four or a back five but neither one of those will be unfamiliar to anyone playing in the England setup and they won't no one surrounding them in their little pockets of the formation will be unrecognizable they'll have all I mean who has the fewest caps at starting Bellingham or Saka and they both have plenty of reps in either role um I think both of those are very viable options they have plenty of experience in tournaments with both back fives back fours and however they set up going forward with their front line and midfield and everyone has plenty of reps. Honestly, France can't even say the same. Um, yeah. I think I think England's talent probably matches up with just about anybody. Their depth is outstanding. They have a plan A, depending on which one they go with. They're going to have a plan B. And frankly, their plan C is probably as good as anybody's. Um, Callum Wilson? Maybe, except for France, whose plan A is to like sit back and counter you with some amazingly technical players and then plan b is to just launch mbappe like a rocket ship into your goal um (laughs) like that's something that no one seemed to stop but i mean something that obviously the biggest question is how does england stop mbappe i think it's very possible to go with the back five but they've played a black four mostly this tournament and it seems like something they've been planning on and like i kind of feel like kyle walker on the right side with Saka to counter is just enough to keep him occupied to keep him less dangerous like i think England's incredibly well set up to manage this match. I think Harry Kane's going to score. I, I feel I feel like 
on his teammate yeah, Hugo Lloris. Yeah, that I was about to say. I think it's interesting club, to note that player against former club correlator. Who, who's going to outsmart who, right? I mean, they've got plenty. Uh, they know each other plenty well from training, a distant cousin. and from playing together. It, you know, it's one of the, it's one of those where, you know, I I think when a, a player scores on his former club, I think the reason that happens so often is because he's used to the defense he's used to uh just the club spirit understanding different weaknesses um and, and then you know that familiarity that kane has I, I and i feel like he's grown into this tournament i think he's gotten better each game i i, I had i just have a weird feeling about england I, I i agree with steve i think that they are they can match anyone on talent and I, I also, I, this feels like a one nil. Does it not? Like I, I obviously want there to be a ton of goals, but it feels like England's going to kind of try to take the air out of stuff. I can't take one nil in a game that Mbappe plays in. <laughs> Which one of these midfields do you like more? Um, I never thought I would pick a midfield with Jordan Henderson in it as a superior midfield, but, and I really like France's midfield. I really like Francis Midfield. I think in four years, the guys that are starting now for France are going to be just insane. But right now, I think an even younger player is better than all of them. I think Jude Bellingham is... is He's going to win young player of the tournament, right? <laughs> I mean, yes. come on. Yeah, especially if they get past France. If they I think win this, that it's... Yeah. It's going to be Declan Rice, Jude Bellingham, and Jordan Henderson, and I like that midfield more than I like France's young midfield. What if, right, if I asked you that same question three months ago, you'd have been like, "Silly question, take a lap." Yes, I would have. I yeah, agree. I would have been like, "Chumani and France. Jude took me by I surprise, though. That was great. Jude, Jude took me by surprise. Adrian Rabio seems to have found a way to care. But yeah, but he's he's st- he's still he's he's the they weak link for sure. Vinga, I I would tend to agree, but Rabio just has a little bit more experience, so I think maybe that's why he's being chosen. Run a four three three. Yeah, I mean maybe they will. I mean they'll match. They don't they don't need to clog things up. And so, Mike, what are your uh, what are your picks for Portugal, Morocco? I think this game is very difficult to call. I. I think that in terms of bets that are maybe safe, I would take Gonzalo Ramos at plus 230 to score. It's still crazy to me. Ronaldo is plus 155. I don't understand. That that would seem to indicate to me that they would think he would start. But I just don't see it with how well they played last game, starting Ramos up top. And so my pick in that game would would be that as a value bet outside of that to be frank i am rooting for morocco and portugal looks scary now with ramos up top i don't know why they would go back to ronaldo but i i think this game you need to wait and see what the lineups are and then you need to kind of see at the complexion potentially laying in an in-game bet but yeah, I think I think overall, and I I, I feel bad, but at the same time, just uh, I, tomorrow's games, I just 
I think are going to be really, really tough to call. And I think the lineups and how they're managed are going to make the difference. Steve, what do you think is the biggest factor in determining whether Portugal will get past Morocco or whether Morocco's Cinderella story will continue? Which Portugal shows up? Is it the Portugal that just ran all over Switzerland? Or is it the more stodgy defensive Portugal who's not willing to kind of take the impetus because Morocco's shown they can handle those teams? Um, frankly, I think Morocco can handle even Portugal's best. They've, they deserve to be here. But yeah, I mean, it's all about whether or not Portugal is a fluke or a favorite at this point. This has been the Just for Kicks podcast. Thanks again for listening. You can check us out on Instagram at the Just for Kicks podcast, on Twitter at Just for Kicks FC. Make sure to check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Like, follow, subscribe, leave, leave reviews. We appreciate it all. We appreciate you spending your time with us. Enjoy the rest of this tournament. It has been amazing. Thanks again for listening. Have a good one. Well, before we go, we heard the news of the untimely passing of uh, Grant Wall. Our hearts go out to his family. Certainly appreciate uh, all the work he did contributing to covering a beautiful game.